Welcome, everyone, to the Red Cedar Ranker, form, the podcast formerly known as <laughs> the Unnamed Podcast. My name is Ed Glazer, joined, all as always, by my co-sidekick, hey. Stefan Fletcher. Welcome, Stefan. Well, thank you very much, Ed. I'm glad to be your co-sidekick, and I'm glad you are my co-sidekick. Yes, it's a very equitable society. <laughs> egalitarian. Here. Very egalitarian. Uh, we're joined by a guy, more than a guy, a, a man... Yeah. <laughs> and a, a doctor, uh, a Dr. Dennis Martell, a fellow that I've known for quite a number of years and have had the pleasure of working with. Welcome to the program, Dennis. Well, thank you, Ed, and thank you, Stefan. Yeah. It's great to be in a uh, in a room with mutual uh, loving of each other's co-hosts. You know, well, I, I like that yeah. co-hosting. This is the most loving podcast. The Red Sea <laughs> Ranker. That, that's good. That's good, Ed. I like that. Uh, the Brit came up with that. That, that oh, would be the, me. Oh, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Blame it on the Brit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That happens a lot around here. Yes, yeah. and also just uh, even though we've only had one podcast thus far, we do spend a lot of time uh, on anti-British uh, rhetoric, just so you know. <laughs> I guess I do. I yeah, guess I, I don't. Do. Yeah, that's true. I've You're been less. dissuaded from doing that. Uh, so we usually start with um, uh, a, a roundup of uh, Spartan News, but first wanted to introduce you. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about what you do and working for the, the health education? You are the health education service coordinator at uh, Michigan State University Olin Health Services. Well, it's interesting being in a different chair here. I got a whole different feel. I mean, you know, oh, okay. for mm-hmm. 15, actually 20 years now, I've been working with Impact. Mm-hmm. In one form or another, either doing my own shows for exposure or doing, started with KAR back in the late 80s, actually, mm. doing uh, Talking Book, mm-hmm. you know, and mm-hmm. we did for people with disabilities. But my, my role here, which is always undefined uh, <laughs> uh, at times, is I am the Director of Health Education Services at MSU, and uh, I also, hold, you know, uh, am a PI on several different grants, and I hold... Uh, uh, adjunct faculty status in two departments now, and uh, you know, trying to do a lot of different things. Trying to keep MSU students alive and healthy. Well, you know, that's yeah. You know, that's now that we're doing a podcast. I guess I can say what I really yeah, yeah please do feel about you know uh, you know when I looked at your notes beforehand, you're talking about health. You know, and I've I've gone back and forth with this new healthy campus initiative about what are we trying to do when we say we want to be the healthiest campus, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and, uh, uh, in the United States. And my definition of health is what works for me, first of all. And But when I ask people to help me define what they mean by health, they struggle. Mm-hmm. And I'm teaching a freshman seminar class now, and I ask them all, so what's your definition of health, and health for what? And there's 20 students in there, and not one of them could come up with a definition of health. They all know they want to be healthy, mm-hmm. but they have no concept of what that even means. Mm-hmm. I mean, to mm-hmm. them, most of them was, uh, to be healthy was to live to be 90. I said, Oof. well, what if your life sucks <laughs> for 90 years? Is that, is that healthy? Mm-hmm. Well, no, but, you know, it's all about longevity and wealth and everything like that. And I said, no, health is about the capacity that you have at any given moment to be in this world interact with this world, learn from this world, and get back to this world. It's a measure of capacity. Mm. But we think health is this idiotic BMI. You have to have a certain BMI. You have to exercise three times a day. Make sure you eat your broccoli and your vegetables and use a condom and all that other shit. Mm -hmm. That's not health. Those are only behaviors. And the meaning of health, which is really 
difficult because I did this with med students not too long ago. I said, so what's the meaning of health? What does health mean? Well, it means that oh, you exercise three. No, that's not the meaning of health. What's the meaning of health? The meaning of health is freedom. Mm. Think about those two concepts. Seriously. Those two concepts. It's probably the two concepts we take for granted as U.S. citizens, I won't say Brits. I was going to say, uh, yeah. I feel excluded. Yeah, well, mm, no, yeah. no, yeah. but Good. the Brits, you know, <laughs> you guys almost lost your freedom, you know, in the 40s, okay? And and so you have a better idea. <laughs> is this, the is this a July audience. 4th podcast? Sorry, hold on. <laughs> the listening audience can't see Stefan's face, but he reacted to that statement. No, I mean, you know, the 1940s, when an invasion and, and, and stuff like that. So, mm-hmm. so in America, we take these two things for granted, but once we lose them, we fight like hell to get them both back. Mm-hmm. Think mm-hmm. about it. So if you if you have depression or you have a cold, do you really feel free to get off the couch to do what you want to do? No. Mm-hmm. If you have a, a loss of an ability in, in, in some manner or you have oppression or whatever, do you really feel free to do the things you do? So health means freedom. Freedom actually means capacity. Mm. So if we're really going to talk about being the healthiest campus, and this is a long explanation of what i do <laughs> uh, I <was> say, wow. <laughs> for me my what i do on campus is try to create capacity ensure capacity and restore capacity to students and sometimes that means i don't focus on certain things mm. like i'm not going to focus on smoking smoke why would i focus on smoking so few students smoke and those who do smoke usually socially smoke mm-hmm. and smoking here's where you're going to get the feedback Smoking sometimes is beneficial to some people. It helps them relax. Mm-hmm. So long-term, yeah, any smoke you take in your lungs is probably going to harm it to some capacity. But it dictates to me what I need to focus on. Mm-hmm. So That was a long explanation. Yeah, but it's no, good. I mean, yes. let's. you probably don't get to... You can cut this if you want. No. Oh, don't worry. No one's going to listen anyway. It's <laughs> yeah, fine. We'll... Yeah, move that through. But you, uh, so you have been here a while, and I remember actually getting into a somewhat lengthy debate about the definition of health some time ago. I think we were at a conference, one of these uh, social norms conferences together, and I remember debating the topic and not winning the debate. You lost so, the debate. Well, I don't think I lost. I just didn't win. I think he acquiesced. Oh, yeah. wave the white flag. I think yeah. it was three in the morning, and I said, I just want to go to sleep. <laughs> but, um, but no, that's a good, you, I don't, you probably don't get to talk philosophically about the meaning of your work in that mm-hmm. sense that often. Well, you, you don't, and when you do, you get a real pushback, because most people think health is about biometrics. Mm-hmm. You have a certain blood pressure and stuff like that, so it's, it's great to be with you guys. Thank you. Well, great. Yeah. This is a very loving yeah, this podcast. Is, this is yeah, very no. caring. I'm not used to this level of caring and affection. <laughs> let's. Uh, yeah. Can I just say at the outset, let's let's group hug Stefan at I the was, end. I was just going to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Let's avoid doing hug, that. Yeah. I'll, I'll just cower in the corner. Aww. The Brits don't react to that very well. I know. Stiff that's why it's fun. Mm. So uh, this is typically where, uh, typically as in half of the half of all podcasts, yeah. no, one hundred percent of all podcasts, um, we've talked. We go to our sec- go green section. We talk about a roundup of Spartan news. Um, Stefan, would you like to go first, or would you like me to go first? Uh, I can go first if you would like. Uh, Do Ed, it. Uh, two it quick up. things. Uh, one, uh, it was funny. Our, our conversation on our last podcast revolved around the the student section at MSU football games, and that mm-hmm. that situation really seems to have blown up uh, uh, recently after the Nebraska game. 
uh, the uh, emptiness of the student section has certainly been a conversation point. Uh, mm-hmm. There are a couple of articles that, that, that have appeared. Uh, uh, one statistic that I was very surprised to, to see appeared in M Live, uh, citing the Wall Street Journal uh, that uh, the student section attendance at Spartan Stadium games, so they may have 13,000 tickets sold, but the actual attendance has declined near enough 12% from 2009 through 2013. Mm. Uh, an average of 9,493 students attended home games last year. Again, remembering that uh, uh, the actual number of tickets sold is, is significantly above that. So uh, that has caused a lot of conversation at the university about whether the student section should be shrunk, uh, whether the uh, entry to the stadium is too long. I mean, some students line up an hour and a half before the game starts to get a good seat. And to me, oh, wow. in, freezing, in cold weather, inclement yeah. weather, uh, that seems to me a little, a little bit of a, a, a maybe a, a something that could be looked at quite severely. But uh, yeah, that was uh, that was one piece that I I saw in the the news. Mm. That, well, I mean, if you really cared, you'd join the marching band, right? Uh, or one of the you know cheerleading the dance squads. Uh, yeah. So wow, yeah, I uh, said that you, you did. And uh, this is the second piece uh, uh, briefly, and I just mentioned it to Dennis uh, off air. Was uh, in the Chronicle of Higher Ed, uh, mm. the uh, yeah. party promotion company. I'm schmacked. Uh, I do hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Can you smell? Sh- could you spell Sh- schmacked for me? Uh, I will. S H M A C K E D. Okay. Schmacked. You can actually smell them too. Yeah, it's pretty obvious. Yeah. Um, they have been uh, uh, in the Chronicle quite a bit recently. They are a, a party promotion company that's evolved from. Uh, filming college parties to now hosting their own at off-campus venues and uh, interesting to read the level of preparation universities go for almost uh, tactical strategies that are undergone to manage their presence around the university area so uh, it's interesting to look at that uh, and uh, you think about things like the Princeton Review and the party rankings and mm-hmm. I don't know is that, is that a beneficial thing I mean Dennis have you uh, any comment on, on that? Well you know I'm Schmacked was here at MSU about two years ago and they did some filming before we could tactically uh, understand that they were coming and or oh. prepare for them. I mean, that's part of the celebrations committee that I'm involved with is, mm-hmm. is trying to uh, plan for that. They were here and they did some filming and they got some, you know, typical uh, filming of in the Greeks and some of the parties and they went back mm-hmm. and then we found out they did it, but their film was corrupted. Uh, in the sense that somehow they either went through airport security and it got erased and stuff. Really? So it gave us a chance to uh, repack and reload and <laughs> and talk about tactics. And we brought in all the groups that could possibly, you know, that they wanted to go film and say, hey, this is not going to be good for the university because I'm schmacked, really just likes to portray the party image of any university that's still a huge misperception of that. So we were prepared for them to come back, and they decided not to come back because they couldn't get mm. uh, collaboration from different parts. Now now that we're doing the podcast, they're going to listen to this, and they're going to say, yeah, we're going to come back now undercover. But, yeah. you know, most universities know about I'm Schmacked, and it's kind of the, you know, well, glorifying that part of college life that they all have. It seems... Maybe I'm just naive. Maybe I haven't been on that particular corner of the internet, but I'm trying to understand why there's a business around filming college parties <laughs> that was big enough that the I'm Schmacked crew was like, you know what? Now that we're really making good money filming college parties, let's throw our own college parties to film. 
Mm-hmm. That just seems weird to me. An amazing number of YouTube views uh, that some of their, their parties are, are getting as well. They're, they're certainly okay. not filming some of the, the, you know, like wine and cheese parties or, or Monopoly <laughs> board game parties that I've sure. That's sadly, sadly been a part of. Those, anyway. are, those are straight to DVD. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> straight to VHS. I don't think anyone's <laughs> buying those on DVD. Beta. Uh, <laughs> and Blu-ray. Yeah, I just, one note I noticed in the um, MSU newsroom uh, was their uh, Michigan State's launching uh, foodchannel.msu.edu, an educational portal with uh, open access courses um, for students uh, around the globe. It's part of the MSU Global uh, Project, and uh, apparently they're going to have uh, a number of uh, classes. I think they started with uh, uh, food fraud, um, mm. and I think it was, uh, if I understand, it was pretty successful, and so they're kind of that was their sort of pilot, and now they're they're uh, they're building out um, some of their food. Um, Course offerings, which, you know, Michigan State University obviously has a very strong uh, national reputation in mm-hmm. uh, what it does around that. So expanding that into um, the world so that we can teach everybody how to do it MSU style, not <laughs> I'm in the partying sense. I'm sure that's how that program, program was sold. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I was in charge of marketing and PR <laughs> for that. So I know a little something. Uh, but it was also interesting years ago. It also made me think about this. Um, the, uh, uh, author of, um, uh, oh, shoot, I should have wrote that down. The, um, he's, he was a journalist professor at, at UC Berkeley and, uh, food rules. Mm. Um, Mm -hmm. you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. He has a name. Yep. It's a good one. Yeah. And you're going to look at us to come up with that name and no, we won't. (laughs) <laughs> we'll just this i'll edit this out and then i'll i'll put myself saying uh uc berkeley journalist and writer so blah 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 and everyone will go mm-hmm, yeah sure right we recognize yeah, that yeah. name yeah. and he came and he came and spoke a number of years ago at msu omnivore's dilemma was his other big book and um uh, was i was kind of surprised to see protesting out front um uh, because he really rallies against the sort of industrial food process, mm. uh, which is, I guess, also kind of what we teach here. Mm. I mean, it's not the only thing we teach here. Of course, we have, you know, MSU student organic farm, and certainly there's a variety of food uh, production and food re- issue. You know, security is one of the big issues. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was just, it's just, that caught me off guard when I went to see him speak. And so it'll be interesting to see how this food channel and, and kind of the content of the courses are accepted by uh, the globe. Yeah, I, I was excited when you said Food Channel. I, I really did think that it was like Food Network for a second. I, I, I thought that we may see uh, President Simon cooking omelets and uh, uh, helping to prepare uh, yeah. food. Uh, uh, I'm less excited now. Well, it doesn't say that in here, but it also doesn't not say that. So Omission, yes. Yeah, it's possible. Uh, well, those are the hard-hitting issues of the day. Now let's get into the soft stuff where we, uh, today in segment, our main segment with our guest, Dennis Martell, who is uh, the Health Education Service Coordinator at uh, MSU Olin Health Services. Uh, we're going to go into the 2014 NCHA, that's the National Collegiate Health Association Health Survey. This is a survey that's conducted twice yearly or once a year in the spring? Once every two years. Once every two years. Yeah, we've okay. been collecting. Right. It's, it's actually the National College Health Assessment. By, <laughs> Didn't get anything right. Yeah. No, well, <laughs> Close enough. You can edit that out and sound intelligent. Saying it. Uh, by the American College Health Association. And we've been doing it since 2000. So we have 
14 years of trend data on uh, students in probably 42 different health areas as well as behaviors. And Stefan and I were talking just before the show, and we also assessed uh, perceptions mm-hmm. because, uh, as you well know, we've had many conversations, and you were part mm-hmm. of that team that uh, uh, started to look at how we uh, change perceptions on campus, i.e. known as social norms. I usually call it misperception change theory. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Uh, so there's a lot of questions on there about uh, student input uh, on their health, on other people's health, what's being done, how it's being done, what information you receive. So we got 14 years of data, and probably the richest data set nationally, because there's over 500 universities that use NCHA. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, you always have to uh, uh, modesty to me is is giving a, a fair appraisal of one's worth. I think we probably have the best data set because mm. we have a methodologist and a group that's been doing it from the beginning, and they we we uh, do random stratified samples. So uh, we're pretty confident that the data shows us what's happening, and we've used it as both formative data to see what's going on, you know, environmental scan, also process evaluation to see if our initiatives are actually doing what they said they would do. And then outcome evaluation. Mm-hmm. But it's told us some really interesting things over the years. And the 2014 one, uh, we've added some additional questions to, which are really interesting because we're trying to get to the basis of what we were discussing before, which is what does health mean and how is it achieved and how best to help students be successful. It was interesting. Mm-hmm. The last two days, we were under this accreditation, you know, the uh, we had to come in and uh, it's called JACO. It's the... Uh, National Accreditation Bodies for Health Services. And one of, mm-hmm. one of the uh, accreditation people said to me, so what's your purpose? I said, we only have one purpose here. And if mm-hmm. we can't prove we do, we shouldn't exist. And that is to remove impediments to academic and developmental success. Mm-hmm. If we can't help students be successful, then we shouldn't exist because there's a, a number of hospitals in the area. There's a number of ready cares. People get health care anywhere. If we can't prove that we're actually doing that, then we shouldn't exist. And that's what we're trying to do with NCHA, show you how we're either stopping those impediments, uh, changing them, or uh, doing protective behaviors with students. Can you just talk really quickly sure. up front about um, some of the finding, main findings that interested you and, and um, uh, corollary in a sense? Uh, how this data, broadly speaking, has been received? I think it's been received, uh, it depends what party you're, you're talking to. Mm-hmm. Sure. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of misperceptions. You know, actually, the media has probably received it uh, the most skeptical because mm-hmm. there's nothing sensational to say about college students mm-hmm. other than some of the, you know, uh, uh, the new findings, which I'll talk about in a minute. But mm-hmm. You know, they always question how we get the data because we say, you know, 75% of MSU students are monogamous in their sexual relationships. Most people don't want to hear that. They want to know that everybody's getting 10 partners and getting laid, you know, every weekend and stuff like that. And so, you know, the state news and other Mm -hmm. uh, places always say, well, that data's got to be flawed. You know, it can't be true. But after 14 years of collecting data, you know, because we always get, they're lying on the survey. So it's kind of like, yeah, this year in 2012, we'll get back with all the people in 2014. Tell them to lie about the same things. Mm-hmm. So after it's a 14 very sophisticated years, network of lies. You know, yeah. it's like, <laughs> pass it out. Lie about your drug taking. Lie about who you're having oral sex with. Mm-hmm. No, it's not that. So we get a lot of uh, skepticism from the media because it's like they want to report, you know, 
Everybody's mm-hmm. having sex. Everybody's doing heroin. Everybody's sexually assaulting somebody else. It's just not the case. Yeah, yeah and I mean, I, I I would bristle a bit at calling the state news the media, but anyway, <laughs> that so, was uh, that's the entirety of the, of the <laughs> the media. Uh, <laughs> Uh, and that, that actually goes to a question, Dennis, like, uh, the, 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 there's a question, you know, and you alluded to it, the believability factor of the survey, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I don't know, you know, de- year on year on year that, that maybe we, we see a similar trend in terms of uh, uh, sexual health or, or certain other behaviors. And yet there's always this, the, the perception, the misperception about the number of partners I believe that other students have versus what I report that, that, that I have. And, uh, uh, is there is there something you know that, that ever can be done to change like to to narrow the gap? As yeah, it were? We, we've been trying to do that with different initiatives and different theoretical foundations. One of them being what I call misperception change theory. We know there's huge misperceptions about drug use, about sex. Uh, there's even big misperceptions about health centers. I mean, we, you mm-hmm. know, most people have these huge misperceptions about health centers. So what we've tried to do, and, and Ed knows this, we've had long conversations, debates about the mm-hmm. efficacy of it at times, is that we don't tell students what to do. Mm-hmm. We just tell them what they actually report doing. In other words, you know, if you go into a class, you can still go into a class and say, what do you think the average MSU student drinks when they go out? You know, and they'll say, you know, 10 drinks, or if you're from the Oof. UP, 15. Out uh, <laughs> of five. Wow. Yeah, you know, and, and then, <laughs> then we ask them on a piece of paper anonymously to record how much you actually drink when you go out, and it usually ranges around four, yeah. zero to four. So there's this, I always call it the animal house philosophy, that, you know, you have this perception that's been shown through media and also shown through alumni who exaggerate everything that's ever been here that they've done <laughs> uh, and they come back and they, they you know they want to see the old animal health philosophy a lot of it's that kind of stuff a lot of it's uh, what the media reports you know we don't report that somebody had a uh, domino's party and uh, uh, you know and they're uh, <laughs> talking the debate team we report on the parties that mm-hmm. happen like I'm schmack yeah great example sex well sex has always been misperceptions I mean a lot of it comes from the media, a lot of it comes from movie, a lot of it comes from society, you know. But when you actually ask students, the trend has been we have less students actually choosing to be sexually active. Hmm. I don't really give a damn if somebody's sexually active. All I care is that you have as much information as possible to make an informed decision mm-hmm. and try to protect yourself. So what we try to do is just give the information back to them, let them digest it, not say you have to do this. You know, it's kind of like the protective factors mm-hmm. that we used to do. You know, nine out of ten students who go out on Halloween stay with friends. Mm-hmm. You know, or when you go on spring break, staying with friends is a protective factor. No matter how much you drink, mm-hmm. it's still a protective factor. So it's a misperception. You know, actually talking with the president just the other day about this because she wanted to talk about drug use on campus, and everybody thinks you know heroin use is out of out of control. And we've had some significant tragedies on this campus over the years. But that's the other thing: students die on mm-hmm. campuses. Mm-hmm. This is not protective. We always think, you know, I talk to parents all summer that they're sending their kids to MSU and we have these ivory walls that are going to protect them from me. No, you're sending your kid to another city. Mm-hmm. That's what you're basically doing. People die at this age. We do have deaths. People do experimentation. We can't prevent everything. You know, people bristle at the fact sometimes when I say, yeah, we have 12 to 15 student deaths a year. Mm. But that Shouldn't be normal, but it is normal. Even developmentally it is. People do die. So we've had the tragedies with the heroin, and all of a sudden we have a heroin problem on campus because we've had some people die. Should we take a look at it? Yeah, we can take a look at it. 
but self-report data shows no increase. Mm-hmm. Even the data from around you know campus and different doesn't really show an increase. We do have uh, a huge increase in mental health concerns. Mm-hmm. And I know some people are self-medicating. People are self-medicating because they're trying to find a way to deal with some of these mental health issues that are coming out, and that's coming from all different reasons. We could spend four hours podcasting talking about why anxiety, depression, all these things are up. Mm-hmm. Some of it is just evolutionary. The brain is changing. Some of it is the way the world looks these days. But if we have any significant rise in any drug use, it's for self-medicating. Um, and I want to talk about the mental health stuff. We actually talked about that uh, a bit with, in our last episode as well. Um, but I did want to um, at least mention something about you know the misperception aspect mm-hmm. and how um, at least you know when I was much more involved with that uh, group and sort of digging into the theoretical underpinnings of well, why um, the thing that stuck out most to me was really um, almost just an issue of memory and memorability because, you know, if you see something um, explosive, if you see something crazy, like somebody, you know, really drunk and having, you know, drank a lot or somebody, you know, just doing something very atypical uh, that's very memorable, and it's mm-hmm. it's very uh, the you know the an- opposite of that antecedent or no antecedent does not mean opposite. The opposite of that situation is you know the vast majority of people doing uh, things that are not memorable at all. You know because it's just very ordinary. You know somebody drinking one drink and then you know watching Netflix and and then. And this uh, podcast is not sponsored by Netflix, but we are open to the uh, open to the ideas. Yeah. If so, Netflix is willing to chip in two dollars fifty, we'll give us a call. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but so, I mean, I think that that has a lot to do with the why students have those misperceptions is because of memorability. When you ask some questions like, "Well, what do you what do you think is typical?" Mm-hmm. You know, I think it's really just uh, a lot of it boils down to how how we remember how you know memory you know, systems the interesting thing about that is though that we've asked in many surveys and i know you've been present for some of those celebration surveys what's your most memorable uh event at msu mm-hmm. not once in any of those surveys did anyone mention alcohol as being a factor interesting oh, sure interesting it's always been yeah. something else it's either been you know a, a game or an event or i met my partner here or you know, singing this fight song. It's never been, I got plastered and I just threw up and that was the greatest thing ever. Mm, yeah. It's never that. But a lot of the memorable things that they think fit within the continuity of the thought process of being in college is alcohol. I, I saw this guy who was passed out, you know, where we went to a tailgate and people had mugs taped to their hands and they go, they think people want to hear that? Mm. And in reality, people really want to hear what's memorable about their own events. See, but that's interesting, Dennis, you know, because uh, uh, you see, uh, you know, and, and you're aware, like the MSU Party Stories Twitter feed and stuff like and the, the, mm. the huge amount of followers. So there, there obviously uh, is some interest in terms of trying to follow some of these, uh, these uh, how do I put them, ongoing developments. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, they, they, they want to they fit into shoes that are no longer contemporary. Let's put it that way. A lot of them, I see some of these feeds out there like party, Spartan party school stuff. The fact that we haven't been on the Princeton review list for now almost eight years uh, at party school Mm -hmm. means one thing. Because the Princeton review thing asks people what their perception is of their school. It asks them what happens at their school. 
And since we've been doing social norming and doing misperception, that perception has changed. There are a lot of people who are trying to hang on to this party image like you would not believe. They say it in the media. They say it, I mean, every time the state news runs an article on something like that, they have somebody who says, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to relive the party image of MSU. <laughs> when you ask students seriously, anonymously, about why they chose MSU, party school gets less than 4% of the vote. Most times it's diversity or academics or sports or something like that. But they, it's like hanging on dearly to that last vestige of animal house. Yeah. You can't get a bachelor's in partying, so I'm glad that the, I'd love to talk to the, the 4%, I suppose. I no, but it is odd that they still uh, have a master's in science in partying. They That's do. strange. I think that is weird. Hey. <laughs> they should really cut that program. My nephew's <laughs> taking a, a wine and beer class here, so. Yeah, actually, <laughs> somebody, uh, an alumnus, uh, last uh, two weekends ago at homecoming, uh, was chatting with me about some of the hospitality uh, and business management classes they have in um you know, in, in the area of microbrewing or micro mm. whatever, vintnering. It's big business. Yeah, and yeah. apparently it's just fantastic. There, We have some top people doing that, mm-hmm. which is great. Well, and, and Ed knows, and since it's a podcast, I can say, it, you know, for 14 years now, I've been taking money from the Anheuser-Busch Foundation mm. to actually do uh, and strategize and research methods of allowing people still to drink mm-hmm. but do it responsibly. And, you know, and I, I get criticized for that all the time. You know, how can you take money from the, the you know, the industry or the corporation? Well, well it's actually pretty easy. We have a whole yeah. uh, financial department. Checking and, accounts. Uh, yeah, it's, we've <laughs> got a whole bunch of there's stuff. There's not a department on this campus that doesn't take money from some industry that if you use the product wrong, could hurt you. From entomology with pesticides <clears throat> to whatever. So it's no different. Actually, the Anheuser-Busch Foundation has been just absolutely superb with us, never asked us to put their name on anything, mm-hmm. just really wanting us to use methods that help to be responsible. That's mm-hmm. it. Yep. Okay. So do you want to dig into some of these questions that you had prepared? Yeah, sure. I mean, uh, one of the, one question I, I have for you, Dennis, and this is, a, I feel like, a, a topic that um, uh, you, you just referenced, uh, but uh, mental health. Mm-hmm. Uh, not just a challenge at Michigan State, but a, I feel like a, a, a what I would see as a growing challenge nationally. Um, you know, you, you see the reports of uh, uh, you know the anxiety order uh, disorder statistics and, and self reports on, on the depression numbers, uh, as well as uh, the number of people who are reported you know report feeling angry uh, at certain times, and those those numbers seem to be up. Uh, and and you know does that concern you what does what what does the you know how does the university use this information to try and respond to some of those concerns uh that that you see the trend that's uh, that's there well you know i'm i'm close to retirement and since this is a podcast i can, oh, okay. I can tell you what i really think oh he's really letting it all oh here we go you he know, just, uh, he just, yeah i think yeah, for just... a long time the university and even before dr simon was here took the issue of mental health uh concerns on campus as everybody gets stressed Everybody gets depressed. Everybody has some anxiety. Deal with it. It's transition. Uh, that was the feeling. And I know, because I've been here 30 years, so I know mm-hmm. it was like, well, you know, they don't know what stress is. They don't mm-hmm. know what it means to be depressed. Yeah, you, yeah, they're depressed because of Spartan's loss, but they don't know it. Now they're taking it very seriously uh, because the numbers show that of the top 10 impediments to academic success, seven of them are mental health mm-hmm. related. Mm-hmm. You got stress. You got depression. Matter of fact, ACHA since 2012 separated 
stress and anxiety because anxiety is rising quicker than stress is. Mm. That anxiousness that people feel being here, and come on, you know where it's coming from? Mm. You you were the president of COG, you were involved in student, you know what it's like to be a doctoral student, you both do. Uh, that, that kind of anxiousness about, am I going to have a job? How much debt am I going to have? What's, it, what's my career going to be? Am I actually going to be able to finish this thing? Is this environment healthy for me? Yeah. It's, it's growing and growing and growing. We've had 141 uh, shootings in the last year on different campuses. Most of them you don't know about. We just went through another active shooter drill two days ago at Olin because we have one of the probably most vulnerable buildings because we're right on mm. Grand River. Mm-hmm. We have a psychiatry entrances. unit there. We have a pharmacy there. We've now secured all the doors, never had all the doors secured before. Only mm. the front door, you can get through the front door. All running active shooter drills because we have what is called almost a perfect storm. Let mm-hmm. me explain. That's just why this concerns me so much. In the conversation we had with Carl Taylor, who is a professor within the human ecology department who does drug, uh, drug and gang violence stuff, we had this conversation in the president's office not too long ago, so you're going to get the first scoop on this. Mm-hmm. We're, talking about, we're talking about the... Uh, the mental health data, and about shootings on campus and drug culture. And Carl and I were going back and forth. I said to him, okay, with the rise of anxiety and anger, which mm-hmm. is new, the, mm-hmm. the amount of anger that's risen in the last couple of years, mm-hmm. and we know where anger comes from. Anger comes from fear-based cultures that don't have answers. Okay, when you when you push a lot of fear out into a culture and you, and you don't have answers for it, like this government's great about doing that, and we did it during the Iraq War, we did it during... Everyone think, well, we push out fear, but the answer then was go to war. Mm-hmm. We're pushing out a lot of fear right now. With it, there's no answer for college students necessarily. You're not necessarily going to get a job, but come to college. Spend <laughs> a lot of money. You know, you're not necessarily making You'll have graduate. fun. Yeah. Well, you'll, you'll have, have fun. fun. And, yeah. and it's part of the experience. And I wouldn't want to be anywhere else in MSU. I love the culture here. But this is the problem here. All summer, I did orientation, And you can always get the tenor of the culture of the new incoming class and the parents who are now Blackhawks, they're no longer helicopter parents, they're Blackhawks. I mean, they're, they're swooping down on everything their kids do. Mm. The number one question we got all summer from parents was about weapons. Not weapons on campus, but what their kid could have on campus in the way of a weapon. A pepper spray. Pepper or spray, like knives, concealed weapons. That's the number one question. And so at the end of the summer, my perception, and I said this to the president, was that we have an incoming class that their parents are trying to arm them to protect them against violence in culture and on campus. We have that, and then we have rising mental health concerns. So as Carl said, we have the perfect storm. We have parents who are actually trying to figure out how to arm their kids, and they openly asked about concealed weapons and about knives and about Mm. pepper spray and tasers. You know, usually they ask about meningitis or, you know, what's the newest thing on the horizon, flu, colds and flus. This time it's all about weapons. We have weaponized meningitis? That's, an, <laughs> that's horrifying. <laughs> oh, it is just so much fun. <laughs> no, no, but I mean, to your point, Dennis, I, I will say, you know, j- j- just briefly, I was in a conversation, you know, last night uh, uh, where, um, you know, the, the, the um, unfortunate and, and pretty tragic incident of the, the sexual assault by Beaumont Tower that just yes, happened. Yes. Uh, and uh, one individual um, was arguing for, you know, why don't, you know, I, I, that he uh, wouldn't have a problem. 
uh, with arming every student on campus as a solution to uh, these issues, uh, the, you know, these types of issues. Uh, and that's, you know, a very fast, you know, a very interesting perspective to, to weaponize everyone. Yeah. Uh, and, and what does that mean on a university campus? You, you saw uh, the reaction uh, after some of the, the other school shootings that this was a, a solution that was proffered. Um, hmm. Yeah. And that's, it's also interesting to have, okay, I'm going to say the one sort of pro-British thing that I'm going to say for the entire duration of this podcast. Please record this at home, uh, <laughs> listeners. <laughs> uh, significantly less uh, m- murder rate, right? Vi- gun violence rate. Significantly in, less, yeah. In uh, Britannia, the United Kingdom. Still the, United. The Queen's... Uh, so, oh, okay. <laughs> All right. Wait, now we're going to get a lot of Scottish callers. Uh, <laughs> but because people are not uh, allowed to carry weapons they're not allowed to own weapons right yeah they, they, well there's, there's a a lot heavier restrictions on gun usage and, and indeed yeah. the police uh, don't really even have guns which uh, uh you know unless they're in special tactical situations uh, the same with australia i think has been cited in, in that instance as well mm-hmm. uh, so it's just a different culture there obviously you have uh, uh you know uh, the Second Amendment uh, here in the United States, and whatever that means, uh, yes. uh, not offering any opinion on, on that. But yes, there are interpretations <laughs> of the Second Amendment that, uh, that uh, are out there, but that is not present, obviously, in either Australia or Great Britain. So. That's true. That's true. They do not have an amendment specifically for the purpose of uh, arming people to have a well-armed militia, which we have. It's called the Army. Next question. Well, you know, I, <laughs> but, you know, there's really... Uh, there's really not a next question. When you're talking about the health of this culture and the health of this university, it goes to mental health. Yeah. It really does. I mean, we have a significant challenge in front of us. That we really do. Uh, with these rising numbers. Now, mm. if you look at the probability of some of these conditions we're looking at, if you look at the probability. Now, depression, well, I think it's 25. I can't remember what percentage uh, people say they have depression to, this, to the rate of which would impact their academics. That's mm. one thing. Okay, but if you look at the probability, if you have depression, you have a 50% chance of it impacting your academic success. Now, that's not in the data here because we're mm-hmm. running probabilities now. Mm-hmm. If you have chronic pain, if you have sleeplessness, if you have these things, which might not have a high prevalence, yeah. but the probability is sometimes over 50 60% that it's going to impact your academics. So these are the challenges that the university has to look at. Look at if we really want to raise graduation rates more than they are now in retention, mm-hmm. look at those probability health things. It's not going to be obesity. It's not going to be alcohol. It's mm-hmm. not going to be those. So those are things. Well, alcohol and drug use can lead to tragedies, and we we need to continue to be vigilant about that. But the things that are going to lead to less people being academically successful are these ones that don't get a lot of attention. Attention deficit disorder, learning disabilities, chronic pain, depression, sleeplessness, anxiety, number of anxious people. Have you been over to the counseling center lately to talk to them about the stats? Get Scott Mm -hmm. Becker on here to do a podcast Mm -hmm. about the number of people that are walk-ins at the counseling center that we can't even handle. Mm -hmm. We're seeing them in primary care because the counseling center can't handle them. Mm -hmm. And the number of, of, of involuntary admissions we've made to the hospital for psychiatric conditions. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The police are over at Olin almost every other day mm. trying to, getting somebody, because we have this rising concern 
And it's not just a university thing. It's a cultural thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, I I know that uh, historically there's been stigma around mental health Mm -hmm. and and even being uh, willing to seek uh, attention for mental health. My my guess would be, uh, and I don't know if this is in the data per se, but that um, there is also a lack of even um, being aware that what happened to me or the way I'm feeling is atypical, you know? I mean, I think that you're the only one that knows your thoughts. You're the only one that's in your body. So how could you know that I, the way I'm feeling is different than everybody else, you know? Um, and I and I did have kind of a question with that. Well, answer that, and then I want to follow up with it. No, because I can't answer that, because it'll lead into this whole discussion about how the brain has changed and how technology has changed our way of even recognizing Mm-hmm. The reason why people, the students nowadays, cannot even deal with anxiety, depression, or stress is because the brain is redeveloping itself because of what I call technician. Technician is technology cognition. Technician is the brain, the brain evolutionary, one minute, the brain evolutionary needs eye contact from other human beings in order for it to develop the neural pathways to deal with certain things. It needs it, needs it for dealing with stress, anxiety, because the brain is always developing. The, the children mm. of today, even adults of today, are not making eye contact with children. They're not making because of, of technology and what I call technician. And so the brain is redeveloping neural pathways, absolutely proven by science already, redeveloping neural pathways. And that's why we have such an addiction to texting. We have such an mm. addiction. Because the brain is looking for that evolutionary contact with other human beings, and mm-hmm. it's through eye contact. But even parents aren't making eye contact with their kids anymore. One last quick point. I've been doing POP for 20 years. And for the last 10 years, I've been asking parents at the end of every parent orientation session. Now, this is about the critical health and safety of their kids. I asked them starting 10 years ago, how many of you during my presentation actually checked your cell phone or your iPad, your iPad, whatever you had? Mm -hmm. 10% 10 years ago. 85% were on their iPads or their phones doing my presentation about the life and death of their kids. Mm-hmm. Mm. Tells you something. And so so there, some of these kids aren't even able to deal with simple anxiety. They just don't have it. They're addicted. And, it, you know, people always say, why can't you reach out to them? I'm fighting for a very narrow bandwidth of cognition with these students yeah. with messages. Mm-hmm. And they have more technician than they do have cognition for messages these days. They'll go to the internet. They'll go to their friends. They'll text somebody before they even listen to me. You ever try to make eye contact with students on the, uh, going across campus anymore? It's almost yeah. impossible. Yeah, no. They don't make eye contact. And even if they do, sometimes they're very uncomfortable with it. Mm. Yeah. And you're saying I-E-Y-E contact, not eye contact, the new app from uh, from Apple. I'm no, kidding. Sorry, bad joke. Uh, and I, but I do actually uh, follow up with me after the show because I wanted to talk to you about a uh, some tech uh, ideas sure. that, you know, maybe could, could be thrown into the mix. But um, one of the things that I, I was curious about in, in the in the section on mental health and the results, um, and I'm looking at kind of the percentage of this is uh, from the NCHA 2014 percentage of students responding that they were diagnosed, treated, or diagnosed, treated for various uh, mental, emotional health problems. And um, the numbers seem low to me. And I'm looking at anorexia, 0.8%, anxiety disorder, 10.7%. That's the highest one. ADHD, 42 
uh, bipolar 1.2, depression 8.5, um, some of these other ones, uh, panic attacks, OCD 1.4, uh, sleep disorders 1.3, insomnia 3.3, panic attacks, excuse me, was 4.2, uh, phobia 0.5, schizophrenia 0.2, substance abuse 1.0, uh, other mental health condition 1.8. Do you have a sense of, are these numbers, um, representative of this age group as a whole? Are they low? Or are they high? You have to remember that question asks diagnosed and treated. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's, yeah. Most, most students aren't diagnosed. Okay. And that was kind uh, of my, yeah. So, and there are other questions there which will contradict that just by virtue of the way the question stated, which right. do you feel like you have? Or the one question says, how many times in the last 12 months have you felt so depressed you can't get off the couch? Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. up for 80%. You know, things like that. So, Going back to Stefan's question about, or one of you, I can't remember which one said, you know, how do you know these feelings? Yeah. It's we don't talk about them. In K through 12, nobody says, well, if you're depressed, this is how you feel. Mm-hmm. Or if if you uh, have anxiousness, this is what you feel. We usually diagnose it here because this is a transition that is none like they've never seen before. You have to understand that that transition from high school to college is like nothing ever that they've ever experienced before. And so coming here, sometimes they lay it out to you. If you can make eye contact with them mm-hmm. and connect with them, they will. I mean, these kids are still looking for that that actual human connection. Mm-hmm. They don't want to be, and you will identify, they don't want to be the Borg. Mm-hmm. They don't want to be part of the collective and think like everyone else, but they can't find a way to get off the technology. Mm-hmm. You know, we talk a lot at this university about how do we get students to disconnect? They're not going to disconnect. Get over it. Technology is here. We have to find a way to use technology to bring back some humanity. Mm. And that's a that's a much different question and a much different uh, initiative. You're talking about teaching robots to love. More love. Right. More love. Teaching robots to love. No, but I mean, you know, in all seriousness, I, I uh, at the radio station, we have a lot of students and, you know, we have a lot of student experiencing trauma and mental health issues we were involved in the mental health uh, awareness week last week and uh, one of our students was uh, one of the main student speakers um and you know i think uh, we try and create a very open environment where we can talk about that but you know i definitely uh, observe some students just not being comfortable or not maybe having much experience opening up about kind of where they're at feeling wise or and um you know i've also encountered students that talk about uh, experiencing really traumatic events and um, and and still being affected months later, and they're sort of they're sort of surprised, confused by that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's uh, go into any group of people, whether students or not, and just ask one simple question. Uh, I did this in the class last week. I said, "How many of you know somebody who has an eating disorder?" Mm. No, eighty-five percent oh. of the students in the class raised their hand. Mm. Said, "Look around." That's... Look around. You want to talk about prevalence? You want to talk about what's normal? Mm-hmm. And by normal, I mean, let's norm that. Let's, let's say it's all right to have an eating disorder. I mean, we, we've already declared truce with the war on obesity because every time we declare war on any health issue, we have collateral damage. So we we have declared a truce uh, and peace with the war on obesity because the war on obesity is causing an almost epidemic of students who are obsessed with their weight with with not eating, with their appearance. If you looked at the NCHA data, after academics and after finances, 
personal appearance jumps right up there. Is that's what the most traumatic thing they dealt with last year? Mm-hmm. Yeah, personal mm-hmm. appearance. Yeah, when yeah. I was in college, well, well, personal appearance wasn't on the, the top. Uh... Eric, uh, Krispy Kremes and eating whatever we could and having a good time and drinking <laughs> drinking beer in the UP. That was all we cared about. Personal <laughs> appearance, no. Mm-hmm. Well, probably seventy five percent of women wear yoga pants. I don't know where I got that. Statistic. Is that a statistic that you've come up with, or yeah. oh, you mean the stretched okay. black pants yeah. mm-hmm. and the North Face jacket and the LL uh, uh, Bean backpack? I'm just talking straight yoga pants right now. Okay. Yeah, there's a lot of <laughs> yoga pants. Well, wow. <laughs> Stefan is actually wearing yoga pants right now. Uh, no one needs to think of me in yoga pants. I've never seen him in yoga pants. <laughs> You'll, you uh, can't y- unsee it. That's the problem. Yoga, yoga dress pants. Uh, <laughs> actually, you know, Dennis, one of, one of the, the kind of last things I, I wanted to touch on, and, and um, it's, uh, it's a bit that I hear on and off from students, uh, but uh, we don't talk too much about this today, is how safe students feel uh, on campus and in the community. And it was, I'll be honest, quite surprising to see the the, the, the data. 87.4% report feeling very safe uh, uh, on campus during the daytime. That number drops to 57.7% mm. uh, in the community during the daytime. Uh, and then at night, if you look at the somewhat unsafe uh, numbers, uh, they're 18.2% on campus. Uh, and then... Thirty uh, 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 percent off campus. off campus. I mean, uh, have those numbers been consistent over time? Uh, those uh, numbers have actually gotten better. Okay, they've actually gotten better. And, you know, and if I was to say anything, whether it was podcast or live, I'd say, you know, most of the news about students' health is good. Mm-hmm. Coming to coming to college is actually very protective. The numbers for uh, addictions, abuse, all the stuff are much higher. For that 18, 24-year-old group that doesn't go to college, mm-hmm. nobody ever looks at that. Coming to college is actually very protective because there's a lot of different systems that can help you and will help you. Uh, the university has spent a lot of time trying to make the place safe mm-hmm. and give that feeling of safe. Some of this is a false safety because they come with this perception that it's Michigan State University. Nothing happens here mm-hmm. that's going to harm you. Mm-hmm. Then you go to the city and you realize that, oh, my God, I actually moved to another city. It's not like the university, you know, parents drop them off and they think this is this little, what's that show called with the dome over it? Mm-hmm. Under, under the dome. Under the mm-hmm. dome. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's, that would be a great book, Under the Dome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Our health issues. Under the Ivory Dome. Under, under the, the Ivory Dome. Yeah. Hey, you can't really uh, see out I thought of that first. <laughs> Let's put that on my coin. But when they go to the city of East Lansing, they realize it's not the same. You know, mm-hmm. it, it is a city and, and it doesn't feel the safe because, you know, we don't have as much lighting and stuff. But it's also just a perception. Mm. But this is really a safe place to be. Will people die here? Yes. Will people be assaulted here? Yes. That will happen. It will happen anywhere you go. We can't protect everyone. But uh, for most cases, uh, students feel they're safe during the day, of course. I don't know why they think that, because the number of bike accidents and stuff that we have seen on Mm -hmm. campus has skyrocketed Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. to the point where, you know, we're considering some environmental changes that will really, you know, change behavior, but can't make where students wear helmets and stuff. So some of that perception, Stefan, is, uh, or some of that uh, uh, belief about being safe is perception yep. uh, of the dome, and some of it is just uh, true. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. The the, the biking uh, uh, piece uh, uh, raises the question, you know, we've encouraged biking a lot. 
we really, really have encouraged biking a lot, and, and we're, I think, a bronze campus for biking uh, and been awarded, uh, recognized nationally. Uh, but you do hear an increasing number, uh, at least I do anecdotally, of, of people getting into near biking accidents or cars with biking accidents or bicyclists on bicyclists. Mm-hmm. Uh, it makes it seem like a, a, some sort of uh, anarchy out there. Like, I'm like a crime, yeah. yeah. You have, and I say that with all due respect, so you have no idea. The number of bike accidents and tragic ones uh, with students who had uh, eight facial fractures the other day. Uh, You know about these. I mean, there's so many of them. And what we run up against is the the belief that MSU can't change its environment because it's historic and it's natural. Mm -hmm. Because helmets will never work. Mm -hmm. Nobody's ever going to wear helmets more than they do now. It's Mm -hmm. just not going to work because unless it's a law. But we can change sight of view, and we can change the the environment to make it more conducive to what we want. But Tim Potter, who runs the bike center, did a Go uh, uh, GoPro camera on his bike and showed how anarchy does exist, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. especially like the you know the bridges mm-hmm. and stuff like here. But then when you, when you actually have paths where they the new paths, not those little things they used to have, mm-hmm. new paths, you have uh, you have uh, order. Mm. Yeah, because I mean, I've, you know, this is completely anecdotal, but I've been blown away when I'm on the sidewalks and seeing the cyclists. People are like texting while biking. Jeez. Stuff like that. They're ma- and, or even if they're making a phone call. I mean, don't a make a phone call on your bike. That's <laughs> there was, crazy. There was a guy the other day on Grand River on his moped. He has his iPad installed on his moped. He's got oh, a latte no. and he's doing it. I just rolled down the window and said, I'll see you at Olin. <laughs> Business. You know? Yeah, but wow. that's that's a technician. You should have a a, a gun that fires like a net, <laughs> you know, so you can capture those people and drag them into safety. No, <laughs> we, we joke about it, but some of the accidents I've seen have just been yeah. horrific. horrific. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I've heard uh, Sergeant uh, McGlorian Taylor, yep. I believe, who's for the police Green. station. Uh, yeah, has been in contact with us about how we can maybe uh, help do some messaging around that. But it's yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. Um, uh, Dennis, I, I know you uh, you have to go in a, a couple of minutes here. Uh, last thing I wanted to touch on: sure. Olin Health Center, seventy fifth anniversary. This <laughs> past week, seventy five years old. Uh, uh, unfortunately, I wasn't able to go to the celebration. Was, was there a, a cake? I'm always interested in cake. <laughs> and two, do you have any uh, fond memories of Olin from the past versus today? Uh, give your thoughts about. Uh, there was a cake. Uh, and it was uh, a picture of Olin on the cake. And even though it's seventy five years old, some some things have been updated. Uh, the cake no. is 75 uh, uh, years old? Dennis, you really should have got a new cake. Yeah. Good grief. No, the, the building has been updated. The new president was there. She said some really kind words. I think this, this, the, my fondest memory is uh, in the springtime, I had a gentleman come into Olin who was here for, because he was a musician, and they were mm-hmm. having a uh, reunion of all the music students here, and he was from 1942. Mm. And he worked in Olin Cafeteria in 1942, and he called up. He said, can I take a tour of the building? I said, sure, as long as you don't steal anything. And, but then I, <laughs> came down, I came down and met him. <laughs> clarification. That's yeah. important. Thank okay. you. Yeah. I came down and met him, and he was 94. Wow. You know, and he was telling me stories about uh, yeah. what Olin used to be like and stuff. So it was just nice to have somebody come back and, you know, and kind of renew that, those memories. And, you know, student health services, uh, 
have undergone a lot of changes, and we're making a lot of changes now. We're really mm-hmm. kind of evolving into a wellness center more than mm-hmm. just taking care of medical needs. So they just used to cut cut off body parts. That's how they dealt with stuff back then. Well, Even we if have, you had a headache. Yeah, yeah. We, have, we have a morgue oh. there too, and yeah. all the body parts are horrifying, you know, but... plastic and everything. Yeah, right. That's quite grim. Uh, named after Richard Olin, of course, the building. Yes, uh, yes. First, uh, first full-time physician on yeah. campus uh, at Michigan State. Well, it used Ooh. to be a hospital. So, huh? oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, a hospital up to. Uh, Late 70s. Oh, interesting. Uh, so we are just about out of time. Uh, hopefully we can have you back another time to talk I more about health. I would love to be with health. the two of you. Yeah. Oh, thank you. And um, uh, did you want to hit on some upcoming events? or I can do. I found a one or two. Uh, uh, the uh, uh, Lansing City Market is having Harvest Fest on October the 18th. Apparently family fun, crafts, etc. Uh, I enjoy going to the City Market, generally speaking, just for uh, some food and, and local uh, vendors. So it's a, a good part of the, the city to visit. And uh, this coming weekend, in fact, uh, or tomorrow, depending on, on when this uh, podcast airs, but uh, October uh, the the 10th and 11th uh, uh, is Oktoberfest uh, mm-hmm. in Old Town. Uh, so uh, there was a Groupon available last week. Uh, I shamelessly use Groupon, and I apologize for the plug. But again, Groupon's welcome to sponsor this podcast. Mm-hmm. Let me plug something real quick. Next, next uh, Wednesday, October mm-hmm. 15th, we have the first uh, installment of, of MSU Moves, Getting People Just to Move. Mm-hmm. Uh, rock, walk, and roll will be at the the rock. We have mm. All kinds of swag we're giving away. June Ewitt's going to speak. I know Stefan will be there. Oh, Twelve yeah. fifteen till one. We're just going to walk a mile. And then October thirtieth, we have the first annual MSU Zombie Walk. We're all dressing up as zombies, and we're going to walk from the rock on a new zombie walk with all kinds of swag we're going to be giving away in connection with Halloween. Yes, all yes. for the purpose of just getting people to move. Which is great. I think Impact is going to be involved with the zombie walk. Yes, we're very pro zombie. Oh, are those people with Nerf guns going to show up and, and do anything at the uh, event? Zombies versus humans? Yeah, the, are the humans going to uh, show up and use those Nerf guns oh, on you? God, I hope not. If oh. they walk I hate when the humans guns. show up. <laughs> <laughs> we'll take anybody who, walk, who walks, walks, or rolls. All right. Well, that's excellent. I don't have any events for you. I don't have anything going on. I'm probably just going to do anything my in your life? this weekend. Oh, okay. No. Okay. That's Nothing it. at all. Yeah, I'm a sad, lonely man. Uh, next time we can talk about uh, grads, uh, professional students also, um, uh, as compared to undergrads and who would win in a Nerf gun fight. But until then, <laughs> please Would, do. Wouldn't be pretty. Huh? Yeah, oh, it's going to be ugly. There's going to be some grads doing some real violence with Nerfs. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> uh, thank you for, if you happen to stay and listen all the way to the end, thank you for listening to MSU... Uh, Red Cedar Rancor with myself, Ed Glazer, and my co-sidekick. Thank you, co-sidekick. Toodle pip. Mr. Stephen Fletcher, thank you, and Mr. De- Mr. Dr. Dennis Martell, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure, gentlemen. <laughs>